Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the 54th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing today? Good, good. We're back after a little hiatus, so we apologize we didn't put out an episode last week. We just had a lot of stuff going on, so um, we apologize for that, but we're back this week and we got a good one for you. We do. So uh, we'll start out as we always do, just taking the first few minutes to recap the performance of the month and the year for the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on July 15th, and the data is from Coifin. S&P 500 index is up 4.07% for the month and only down 0.03% for the year now. The Dow up 4.1% for the month and down 5.68% for the year. The NASDAQ plus 4.89% for the month and up 17.59% for the year. I just want to make a little comment. Everyone's freaking out right now about the underperformance in tech this week. And <laughs> Gotta give them perspective, Mark. almost 18% for the year. Give them perspective. Yeah. So. Which is funny how all of a sudden you have like a, a little rotation. And right. I want to use, be careful the adjective that I, that I use associated with this. But all of a sudden, you know, um, gets blown out of proportion because the time scope they're looking at, it's a week. Right. Right. And all of a sudden you broaden that to year to date and you look at the performance difference between the NAS and what you're about to say, the small caps. Yeah. And if it wasn't bad enough that, you know, before this pandemic, People, investors in general, in my opinion, were getting more and more short term with their investing. But now it I mean, people can't look past the next day or the next week right now. So it makes it worse. Kind of almost reminiscent in a certain way of March, because with everything going on in March and you go back and listen to one of our podcasts at that time, you and I talked a lot about that, about how people couldn't look past the next day or two with all that volatility. And now, you know, um, know, there's so many new players in the market, retail investors. Um, And we're gonna hit on a couple of those points here in a little bit. It's just amazing how the scope of time is now so short term. Yeah, it's very short term. So it's gotta keep things in perspective where things are year to date here. Yep. Um, The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is down 2.69% for the month and down 11.25% for the year. There's that perspective right there. Yeah, exactly. Vanguard International ETF, X United States, is up 5.17% for the month and down 7.15% for the year. Three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.16%, the same for the two-year Treasury, and the 10-year yield sitting at 0.62%. Um, so starting out with big news and headlines, current events from the past week, Matt, the final Q2 2020 numbers um, came out and the source here was Lund Loop Research Report. Um, and just a, a reminder for listeners, you know, you can't invest directly into an index. You need Correct. to, you know, invest in a product such as an ETF or a mutual fund to get exposure to that. Correct. To track that. So the Dow Jones was up 17.75% for Q2. 
S&P 500 index was up 19.95%. The IWM was up 25.09%. And the NDX or the um, NASDAQ 100, NASDAQ 100 uh, was up 29.99%. One basis point away from a solid 30. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. The, the bounce that we've seen. But yeah, it was a strong quarter uh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, more news, uh, obviously, so everyone's aware of the rising uh, COVID-19 infection rates. However, um, from what we've been reading, overall death rates have continued to be modest in comparison so far. So I guess that's one silver lining if you're looking at it with the glass half full. Absolutely, Mark. And I think the market right now is so focused on um, a lot of these key states and what their governors and local governments are doing and I think one of the thing, one of the things the market is monitoring is, are we going to take steps back? And if so, to what magnitude? Would you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. And I also think the market is monitoring, um, you know, the, the progress or the tea leaves in regards to a vaccine. And I think it kind of goes back to our podcast maybe about five, six weeks ago where you and I together laid out about eight items that the market was going to be monitoring over the summer. Mm-hmm. And this plays right into that playbook. Yeah. And going back to, and I know people are probably getting sick of us talking about this, about how the market's forward looking, you know, this could potentially the, be the market pricing in the fact that we are going to have a vaccine uh, in early 2021. It could right? be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as more <clears throat> data comes out that the market perceives to be valid, I think that's more of a chance it, it prices that in. Yeah. Right. So you heard it here when we have a vaccine and the market is down, <laughs> I'm telling you now, we already priced that in. <laughs> July 16th, 8.47 a.m. Yeah. Yep. Now, it's just one of those things where, you know, the market is very forward looking. You know, you and I like to just to kind of throw out there six, nine months ish mm-hmm. kind of seems to be, you know, a feel for, for you and I. But yeah, I, I think it is forward-looking and starting to price in some of these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and last but not least, Q3 uh, has started off pretty positive so far, Matt. Um, we're just starting to get companies uh, report earnings for Q2 mm-hmm. of 2020. Yep. So we've had a lot of banks report, and they were stronger um, yep. in terms of trading revenues than, than what people expected. So the market has been up most of this week because of that. Um, so over the next couple of weeks, I think uh, today Netflix reports okay. after the bell, first tech company, and then over the next several weeks, some of the the heavy hitters will start reporting as well. So we'll keep an eye on that for everybody. Absolutely. I'll be curious to see, especially in tech, if it's what we call buy the rumor, sell the news. Yeah. You have some of these names running up into earnings, especially within tech. I'll be curious to see the reaction. I think uh, they're going to have to beat to continue. Right. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to tweets, articles, and research from the week that caught our eyes. My favorite part of the podcast. Yes, yes, it is. Mine too. I'll start off, Matt, with um, a quote from a short blog post written by Josh Brown. And this was titled Abilities on his blog, The Reformed Broker. And this was on June 30th. All right. And I'll link to everything I talk about here in the show notes for everybody. And as a reminder, you go to um, jessupwealthmanagement.com. You want to hover over the podcast tab. And when you do that, you'll see the link for the show notes, listeners. Yeah. So Josh says, the ability to withstand and endure volatility is worth more than the ability to avoid drawdowns. 
The good news is that enduring volatility is a more realistic ability for one to pursue and improve at. Limiting or managing volatility is a worthy pursuit. Pretending you can avoid it altogether is delusional. If you're not willing to accept being down, you'll never have the chance to be up. There's no strategy, formula, tactic, research service, or insight that can make it otherwise. All right. So I was talking to a client yesterday and the client has um, a significant portion uh, of their liquid net worth sitting in cash at a local bank. And, you know, the client called me up and said, you know, hey, Matt, I'm thinking I should do something now. Now, you got to realize I've had this same conversation with this client for the past four years. And I reminded this client that going back four years, we've had this same conversation multiple times a year. And every time we've had it, the client has always had an excuse, Mark, not to put any of that money to work. And the thing that's hard is when I reminded this client, what's your time horizon for this money? And the response to me was, I don't plan on spending it anytime soon, at least five years, maybe 10. And I had to explain to them again, you have to be willing to sacrifice volatility for a greater opportunity for a long-term rate of return. And I just think we're still in an environment where the perception is people can have their cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. And you and I both know that if someone comes to us and says, hey, here's X amount of dollars. Oh, by the way, I might need this in three months. You and I are putting that in the market. Right. 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 And so when I saw that you had this on the list, it, it immediately made me think of that conversation. And I think this is a good opportunity to remind listeners that there's trade-offs with this. Uh, what do you want to add to that? You see where I'm going with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about this several times before, but you can't you know, you, you can't have it both ways. There is no holy grail when it comes to the market. You can't have, uh, you know, average annual returns of 15% and only, you know, the very biggest drawdown only be down 5% from your biggest peak. That's, that's just, right. that's not how it works. That's right. And <laughs> so know? when these major corrections come, whether it's an economic shock, a true recession, that's not, you know, geopolitical related, the concern for a lot of people is it's not going to come back, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we were we were there in March, right? Yeah. You and I were preaching to listeners, yeah. you know, statistically, it has always come back up to that point, right? Right, right. And at this point, we just have no reason to believe otherwise, right? That's right. And so now we're in a position where um, people who are still out of the market in a big way, they always usually say, well, I'm going to start dipping my toe in the next dip in the market or the next little small correction. They come along, the new excuse is there not to invest. And remember listeners, when it's comfortable, usually when it's comfortable to pull the trigger, it's too late. Yeah. And vice, you versa. and vice versa. And vice versa. When it's uncomfortable, when you really don't want to do it, it seems in our opinion that usually has worked out pretty well. Yeah, but. I mean, the last time it was really, really uncomfortable for me to hit the buy button, was Christmas Eve of 18. That was uncomfortable. Yeah, very, very uncomfortable. Okay. So when you and I are buying, um, I can't give specifics, but when we're buying a stock it, in our perception at a drastic discount to their 52-week high and 52-week low, and mm -hmm. you know it's a very large cap, very liquid name, and it's just getting just dumped. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's, that's, that's difficult going into a holiday. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's not fun. But so. uh, this gives you an example, though. Yeah. So I'm yeah. glad. I'm really glad you picked this one, Mark. Yeah. 
Um, the next thing I had was from uh, Blair Duque uh, Duquesne's blog, and this was on June 22nd, titled Lying with Numbers on her blog, The Bell Curve. So Blair says, the stock market doesn't match the real economy. This one is true. I have news for you. The S&P 500 index is not a representation of your local economy. It never was. The top five companies in the S&P 500 index, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, represent 21.25% of the index. While the travel and service industries are in shambles, Americans have found other places to spend their money. And these tech giants are the winners. The sad part here is that thousands of restaurants and small businesses will file for bankruptcy and the market may go higher. I agree. It's, it's what it, you kind of say, difference between the stock market and the economy. Yeah, it's just, you know, people don't live in the stock market, right? They live in their local communities where they're seeing all this destruction with small businesses closing and people getting furloughed and laid off and businesses not making it. But that's that's not what the, the market is. And it's, it's hard to, to get your head around the fact that there's a disconnect there. Um, but that's, that's just how it is and how it works. So you yeah, just got to I mean, keep that in mind when you're like, why, why is the market doing so well when, you know, there's 50 restaurants that live within 10 miles of me that are closing for good. Yeah. I mean, two things come to mind, Mark. First is, you know, you're saying that the stock market's not the economy. The economy's not the stock market. There's a difference, right? And the second thing that comes to mind is when you started off the podcast and you went over the performance of those various indices. And you looked at small caps and they're still down over double digits year to date, right? And so the market itself is even pricing in that smaller size companies that are publicly traded are getting hurt proportionally more because of COVID, mm -hmm. right? And so the market's even realizing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty good from Blair. Uh, the next thing I had was a quote from Jace, Jason Zweig's blog post on his blog, The Intelligent Investor, in the Wall Street Journal. The first half of 2020 should remind us that investing isn't about conquering markets. It's about mastering ourselves. Be an intelligent investor. Being an in, To be an intelligent investor is to recognize that you're in a lifelong struggle for self-control an unending effort to keep yourself from yielding to fear or greed, believing that you know what the future holds, or letting short-term news knock your long-term plans off. Love this. You and I talked about this a lot, especially you during March. Yeah, yeah, it's really about just fighting the battle with yourself, just sticking to your plan, not deviating from it, um, and not letting your emotions get the best of you. So I really like that. He puts out some good stuff, and it's all about kind of emotional investing, that's type of great. stuff. So if anyone wants to check him out, he has a, a blog on the intelligent investor that he writes uh, for the Wall Street Journal. Love that. And remember, listeners, there's two guiding emotions, main guiding emotions in investing. It's fear and greed. And if you turn on Bloomberg TV, CNBC, um, Fox Business, you're going to get a quick sense that day which way it's being exploited. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so you just got to remember, those are the guiding emotions. And when we get more severe on either end of those angles, things start to get dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, Mark, I got a couple things. First is um, a research note from July 4th from Charlie Bellio. He's from the Compound Advisors. OK. And then we have the first thing he had kind of in this weekly research note is in regards to Apple. 
Um, large cap stock, right? The reason I'm highlighting it is it tends to be a, a major uh, player in the S&P 500 index performance, right? As well as the NASDAQ 100. So Apple has bought back $338 billion in stock over the past seven years, which is greater than the market cap of 492 companies in the S&P 500 index. And before you move on, Matt, can you just explain, you know, companies buying back stock, why they buy back stock, how that works, just so everyone understands it, because I know that a lot of people don't love it don't get it so listeners a lot of times a company will buy back stock for various reasons um one of the big reasons is they want to return capital to shareholders so when a company buys back their own stock it artificially raises the earnings per share of the remaining shareholders so in essence the profits that that company makes is being split with less people, mm -hmm. hence it goes up. Right. In addition, the other thing it does is it saves the company money if they pay a dividend. Yep. So what usually occurs, Mark, is when a company buys back stock, if they pay a dividend, it gives them the ability to raise that dividend. So let's assume that they didn't wanna change what they were paying out in the dividend, which is them sharing profits with shareholders. They could, um, raise that proportionally to the amount of the shares they buy back and everyone gets a raise, mm -hmm. right? So it is a way for companies to share and enhance uh, the value of the stock and share more profits with the remaining shareholders. Yeah, yeah, and, and these type of companies that are doing this don't need to raise any more money like smaller companies do when they issue more shares or what we call a secondary stock offering to get more capital and that increases the share count and dilutes the earnings per share. Correct. So. And um, one thing I noticed, this is a personal observation, is as um, a stock, or um, so I should say a company is buying back their own stock, the less shares that tend to be in the market tend to be more, less volatility in trading. I think mm -hmm. the more shares that are out there, it gives the ability for people to better manipulate the stock price. Yeah, yeah. My, it's a personal observation, personal mm -hmm. opinion. Um, next, he also discussed previous unemployment levels. And so the US unemployment rate moved down to 11.1% in June from 13.3% in May. And to give you further perspective, listeners, it was 14.7 in April, okay? This is an improvement, but still above the prior peak percentage in prior recessions. So I just wanna give you um, a couple to throw out there. So the peak in the great financial crisis of 07 to 09 was 10% even, okay? And then in 01, the peak unemployment rate was 6.3%, that was the tech bubble. 1991, 7.8%, Gulf War. 81 to 82, hyperinflation, 10.8%. Just wanted to give a little flavor that, you know, we are to a certain degree in unchartered territory. Now, I could contest with listeners and you, Mark, that this is why the Fed has, Federal Reserve, has taken the unprecedented steps they have so far and why Congress has passed the Congressional CARES Act bill and why Congress is debating another stimulus bill is because these are pretty large unemployment numbers. Mm -hmm. You want to say anything? Yeah, they are. But I think 
you know, I think this is, a, I guess, a good high level stat. But you, I think you also, if you want to be comparative about this, you got to compare what people, what government stimulus has been given to people. You know, uh, the increased unemployment benefits that are, have been given during this time. This this data doesn't account for that. So no. I guess I don't like this on its own. I like to see it comparatively with you know actual money that people are receiving Good because point. a lot of people a lot of people are receiving more money now or I guess until the end of July than they made when they were working before they got laid off or furloughed, right? That's right. So I think that would be interesting to see. I don't know if there's a way to go back and do that. I, I'm <laughs> not the smartest person to, to, to do that. I would just like to see it if someone could come up with it. I think that'd be cool. That I think it'd be very challenging, but it would be very, very yeah. good. Yeah. I got two more. Next is from Bespoke Investment Research on July 1. Uh, July 1 marked 100 calendar days, Mark, since the S&P bottomed from its 33% bear market. The S&P 500 gain during that span has been the strongest in more than 80 years. Yeah, it just goes back to, you know, the data we talked about for the Q2 returns. I mean, that thing just rallied back so hard and you know looking back on it it's easy to say it doesn't surprise me just because everyone was so bearish that you know typically when that happens the opposite occurs but i mean when we were in the heat of it i was i mean i was a mess in my head too i think everyone was yeah yeah so it's pretty uh pretty impressive this last one i think you're gonna enjoy so uh going back to brian lund and his lund research report he had an interesting tweet with a very good story, I think, from listeners to learn from. And this is one that I feel is timeless. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Brian Lund said, out on a hiking trail, I passed a group of millennials. Quote, Bob's advice is to buy a stock in the company where you work. Where does he work? At Innovio. What's Innovio? You don't know? It's the stock everyone's playing. I made a lot of money with it. End quote. (laughs) Mark, what is the message you want to communicate to our listeners after hearing this? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, you don't know Bob's position. You don't know Bob's goals could be completely different from you right? Mm-hmm. It's like the, when we talked about um, people trying to follow like Warren Buffett's plays or Stanley Drunken Miller's stock picks. You don't know what their risk tolerance is, what their goals are, how much liquid capital they have to buy this stuff. You can't, you can't, it's comparing apples to oranges. Exactly. And, you know, the second part of this is everyone will tell you about their winners but they'll yes. never tell you about their losers. Absolutely. And I've had this situation and this talk with people before is during the the, mar- the marijuana rise and fall. There's always a fad, fall, right? Everyone's asking about these marijuana stocks. They're like, Mark, my friend made, you know, tripled their money on this. And I was like, okay. So I pull up the stock chart and I said, when did they tell you that? Oh, a couple months ago. Go and ask them how it's done right now. It's fallen 80% from a tie. Oh, yeah. So they will always tell you about how much they made, but no one will tell you about how much they lost. It's the same thing. You can compare it to like betting, like sports betting, right? Everyone's going to tell you when they hit big. They're not going to tell the one the one big hit over, over, yeah, over a six-month period, but the other, you know, 
five months where you just lost money consistently, no one's going to talk about that. So you have to be really, really and careful, uh, really careful that you get the full picture when you hear these types of conversations. Exactly. And so, you know, what I'll kind of round out uh, this topic with listeners is this. I think there's nothing wrong that if you hear something and you want to run it past your trusted advisor, uh, see what he or she uh, kind of thinks. I don't see anything wrong with that. But just realize kind of behind the scenes, just because somebody's talking about some sort of investment and they're advocating it, just as Mark educated you on this, there are so many uh, items that go into that decision making. You don't know the other person's you know, position, liquidity, risk tolerance, et cetera. Just tread carefully. Mm -hmm. I guess is just what I want to make sure listers convey. Right. False decision. Just because someone else is doing it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Back to you, my friend. Uh, so we'll round out this week with the financial planning topic of the week. And um, I think, Matt, this year has the potential for parents of college students to request and receive a break on the cost of college for the first time in a long time due to COVID. And some take sometimes all it takes is just asking for reduced tuition from a school. So this comes from an article in the Wall Street Journal on June 29th. June 29th by Josh Mitchell titled how to get a big break on the cost of college. Just ask. Okay. And it's kind of the same thing that goes back to way back on episodes. We talked about people getting breaks on their credit card interest rate or their credit card debt. It's like sometimes all it takes is just a call and just ask the worst well, they can say, say is, is no. no. Um, so Josh starts the article by saying the coronavirus pandemic has accelerated years long shift in bargaining power away from colleges and towards families, which are quite prepared to treat tuition as they would a car's price, something to haggle over. <laughs> when a college accepted Francis Marcel's second child several years ago, she pleaded for a discount. It wouldn't budge, she, sh she said, so she dipped deeper into her savings. After her third child, Ian, was accepted by his top three choices for this fall, she urged him to write them in early March, asking that they go lower. In April, each offered him further discounts. One offered about 41% off. Wow. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? And Harvard may, may be uh, an excuse me, did I say Harvard? Harvard can't talk Harvard. this morning. Uh, Maybe an exception and because this fall, they're going to be completely virtual. And from what I've read, there's no drop in the $50,000 tuition. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. So that's I don't know about not going to fly for a lot of people. So I, I, had, uh, I had breakfast yesterday morning with a client um, who has a child that's uh, going to Cornell. Similar situation. Um, I think they do have some in-person classes. But the thing that's challenging is, you know, they're paying a very full bore rate. And usually Cornell would have these very prestigious guest speakers come in once a week. Um, not doing that anymore. There would be wonderful travel opportunities on a weekend to go listen to these prestigious mm -hmm. former Study alumni. abroad programs. And all that stuff's not there. But guess what, Mark? They haven't changed the tuition rate. Yeah. And um, I think that's, that's tough. That's tough. And, and that's a quandary. I mean... It's like in any other business, you know, if you, there'd be some pricing changes. Yeah. And I mean, and obviously where 
their expenses are lacking now with the guest speakers and stuff. A lot of these places, like I know UD, there's going to be pretty extensive like COVID testing every so often with sure. their students. So, I mean, I understand that that cost is going to, you know, be in a different spot, but still it's, I mean, in my opinion, it's not going to be the same experience as it was before for a no. lot of people. Mm-mm. Um. Moving on, the American Council on Education, a university trade group in April, said it expected college enrollment to drop by up to 15% nationwide this fall. Really? So that's a pretty it's a pretty big number. Um, I don't know. I know that there's been a lot of discussion about people taking a gap year, but try having that conversation with an 18, 19, 20-year-old. Not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I don't know how realistic that is, but that's, that's a pretty big big number i don't know how accurate it's gonna be i would like to come back and check on that plus i think getting off the horse and getting back on in that realm is hard yeah it is it is so i like to come back to that figure and see what it actually was that number how much enrollment dropped by so finally the last point i wanted to go over was this christopher Leiden, vice president for enrollment management and marketing at catholic university said 20% to 30% more families than last year are appealing for bigger tuition discounts. The school refunded existing students for room and board this spring and has offered nearly 500,000 more in discounts to this fall's incoming freshmen compared with last year's freshman class. So, you know, one thing I would love to do, go, go continue. No, that was, that was the last okay. point. Go ahead. You know, one thing I would love to do is um, have a valid debate <laughs> between um, the issue of this. A lot of these universities have tremendous endowments, tremendous endowments. And I think this is a time where they have to show leadership and shine. And um, even it's for one year on the drop of tuition with the, with the change of mm-hmm. how the classes are going to be. I don't know. Just a, just an observation. I'd love to see a debate about that. I think. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people are asking the question. Well, were the endowments what are, for? Yeah. What, what are the what are endowments for? for? If, if this is not what they're for, what are they? What for? are they for? Yeah. Because there's That's been, a valid point. Yeah. Because I think it was. We're think, talking hundreds of millions. Yeah. Sometimes billions. billions. Yeah. I think it was. Maybe it was Yale. I can't remember. I thought it was an Ivy League school, but. Um, the president of the university came out and said, you know, was addressing the issue of people asking, why aren't you dipping into the endowment to keep these people on payroll? And he came rainy, out and he, <laughs> what'd you say? It's for a rainy day. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, that is not what the endowment is for, but he didn't say what it was for. <laughs> so I think that's what everyone's like. Okay. Well, if it's not for that, then what are you saving it for? If you don't define this as a rainy day as an endowment, right? What what are you gonna call it? Like a monsoon? And like I guess people this? can people can say that it's for like expanding campus or new buildings, but I think that there's a lot of like investor stuff that goes into like funding those programs. So I don't I don't know. I, yeah, because I don't know like, enough about it to yeah, make a comment about it. But that's why I said it'd be fun to have a debate. Right? Yeah, yeah, that would be fun. So. Yeah. I'm sure there might be some silver linings on the other side that we don't see. Yeah, I'm sure there is. But, but that's why I want to talk, yeah, I that's talk right. about it. But it's the optics of it. They're not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that's all I had for this week, Matt. Is there anything else you want to discuss before we leave um, it here? I'll leave it with this. Uh, next week and the following week is going to be the bulk peak of earnings season for the second quarter. So listeners, if you're um, you know tracking or own some individual positions, don't be surprised if you know the day they report or the day after, you see some enhanced volatility. That's normal for this time of the earnings season or this time of the calendar. And then secondly, I know we're going to have a lot of content uh, for next week's podcast, so you might uh, anticipate a tad bit longer than usual. Mm -hmm. I'll send it back to you, my friend. All right. Um, Well, I don't have anything else, so thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the 54th episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week and enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.